Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we talk about the Pistons' reserves this season. Uh, ben Gulker and I offer letter grades for the bench mob uh, relative to their expectations, uh, which guys passed and uh, which guys failed. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing great. Loving the playoffs. Having a, a lot of fun watching them. I, I was a big Pacers fan today, um, but unfortunately, LeBron James is still the best player on the planet and pretty much single-handedly uh, won Game 7. But otherwise, doing good. How are you, Laz? I'm doing good. I actually saw uh, Avengers Infinity War during oh, nice. Game 7. And so I came out, and apparently uh, LeBron pulled a Thanos and uh, just wrecked all the wrecked everything in front of him. And that, that's the way the story goes. Yep, that's the way it goes. Yeah. So uh, I hate to I hate to disappoint everyone, but there's uh, there's no news on the Stan Van Gundy front. I think as uh, as Rod Beard put it, there's uh, there's no smoke, white or black smoke, coming out of the uh, the chimney yet out of the Vatican. So we won't, uh, we won't have anything for you guys on that front, but when it does happen, we'll talk to each other and we'll talk to you guys and we'll figure it out. Uh, for now though, what we want to do is we want to get into some off season grades. Uh, let me pull up the rubric real quick. Ben had a very uh, interesting rubric for uh, how we, uh, we were going to determine how guys did this season. Uh, a exceeded expectations. Uh, B met expectations. C uh, below expectations. D was a uh, uh, dick minus. Dick minus was uh, was the way that Ben wanted to put it, and that's way below expectations. And I'm, I think we'll have a couple guys who hit that. And then there's F for guys who just like you know just didn't do anything. We also I I threw an incomplete in there, uh, and we'll see how it goes. So so Ben, uh, we'll start with Jameer Nelson. What what grade would you give Jameer Jameer Nelson for his time as a Piston this season? Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to use this uh, this scale this way is because I was afraid I'd be handing out way too many dick minuses. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to try to be a little more optimistic. And Jameer would be one of those guys who, to me, if you were just strictly objectively evaluating his play, like he was just washed up. But I expected him to be washed up. So to me, Jameer is, Jameer is one of those guys who was a C. I expected him to look like he was as old as he was. And he pretty much did. You know, he, he could still, I think, be a third point guard for some team who needs very little out of a third point guard but to me he just he looked pretty much done and that's where I thought he'd be so I gave him a C for this season so Jameer only played seven games uh and he shot what he shot 40 percent from the floor and uh 0.71 percent 7.1 percent from three uh I think that's a that's definitely under the realm of what 
uh, you could reasonably <laughs> expect from an NBA point guard. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with D. I'm gonna go with way below expectations. I didn't think Jameer Nelson was gonna come in and save them, but I also thought he would be serviceable as he had been in New Orleans prior to the trade, and he he simply wasn't. Like it's we don't have to dwell on it. He just wasn't. All right. Next up is uh, is Dwight Bikes. Yeah, Dwight, to me, again, another guy who, to me, I had very low expectations. Uh, on the whole, I'd say to me he was below average overall. Um, but he did have some moments where he actually looked capable and competent. And, and he had, I think, a handful of really bright spots, to be perfectly honest. And that was a lot more than I expected out of a guy who was called up out of the G League on uh, a couple 10-day contracts and then ultimately signed for the rest of the season. So to me, I gave him a B minus, not because I think he's a great player, but because he actually did exceed my expectations a little bit. Um, and so I gave him a B minus. So Dwight uh, averaged seven points, uh, two assists, and a rebound a game on uh, 43% from the floor and 33% from three. I think that's that's about reasonable uh, if – if that's the, I think that was a better like baseline expectation of what you get out of your third guard, right? Yeah. And like you said, he did have some very, uh, very high points in the season. Um, he played out of his mind against against Houston. Um, he had a really great game against Denver, even though it was a loss. Um, I think there's still like there's room on this roster for a Dwight Bikes as like a third and a half point guard in the future, which is not something I think I expected to say at the beginning of the season. So yeah, I think I think a B, I think a flat B is fair for Dwight. Okay. Uh next up, we're just going through all the oh I didn't mention we're going through the bench guys uh in this podcast and we'll go through the starters uh next podcast. I'm not sure when that will be. Um but yeah if you're waiting for us to discuss Andre Drummond or Blake Griffin, sorry, you have to wait a week. Uh, but next up, we have Ish Smith. Um, Ish averaged averaged ten points, uh, four and a half assists, and uh, two rebounds a game on forty eight percent from the floor and thirty five percent from three. He had a hot streak of from three to to kind of get his numbers up at the end of the season. Uh, ben, what was your uh, your grade for Ish? Yeah, so Ish was the hardest guy for me to grade. Um, you just mentioned his shooting numbers, and I realized that some of that got beefed up a little bit by the end of the season. But I think if you take this season as a whole, objectively, this might have been his best season. He might have put up his best numbers this year. Um, but the flip side of that is being a full-time starter for a, a large stretch of games, I think really put his flaws under a microscope. Um, in addition to the fact that I just don't think he's quite good enough to be a full-time starter, he just has the wrong type of game to start next to the rest of guys who are in the starting lineup. Um, so I think his flaws really kind of got amplified by that fact. Um, but again, flip side of that is, had he played this way with a healthy Reggie Jackson all season and he was backing up Reggie and putting up these kind of numbers, I think we'd really be singing his praises. So to me, I graded Ish higher than I, my gut said I would. I gave him a B plus because I'd say he exceeded my expectations a little bit without blowing me out of the water. So B plus for Ish Smith. That's fair. I think I think a B plus is the right uh, grade to give him. I would also give him a B plus. Uh, you mentioned the shooting, and I think that's that's a case of uh, like better late than never, and that's that oh, that offers hope for uh, this season coming up. 
But if he had been doing that from day one as, or even uh, if he had changed his game a little when he was inserted as, as the starter, like that could have reaped huge dividends and that could have been um, something that would have really made a difference over the course of the year. Um, I think that ish, exceeded or i think he he slightly exceeded my expectations um i didn't expect him to i didn't expect him to end up starting the number of games that he did but um i would think that uh, were he put in a position to to start again i would hope that the shooting carried over and that he'd be slightly more effective and uh, be able to play more with uh as a shooter with the lineup of uh with with the starters and so yeah i think i think b plus is a good it's a good place to be i mean for me the thing with ish is i I, i'm looking to upgrade from ish but um not because he's terrible or not because uh i I don't like him but because i i think the shooting is a mirage and i don't want to be in the position of relying on uh, reggie jackson's health for another season because we've seen where that's led the last two seasons and so i think not preparing for that and not uh not making sure that we don't uh, end up in a similar situation as this season would be an issue and so i think it's fair to say ish can't start and so what that means if if you're not going to rely on reggie jackson's health and i don't want to i think it's fair to say that uh ish um, might, might be traded and i'd be okay with that yeah i would be too and if, however, the shooting holds up for 20 or 30 games, I think he becomes a lot more tradable because if he's shooting even 31 or 32% from deep, he becomes much more useful to a whole lot of teams. Um, again, again, you could be 100%, right? It could be a mirage. It could be a fluke. But if it isn't, uh, we might be able to trade him for, for a bit of an upgrade that fits a little better. That's true. Uh, another guy that I think we might be able to trade for an upgrade is Langston Galloway. Langston had a really, uh, really strange season. He averaged uh, six points, uh, one assist, and uh, a rebound and a half, give or take, on uh, 37% from the floor, but uh, 35% from three. So, Ben, what, what, what grade would you give uh, Langston Galloway? Yeah, another tricky one. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Langston Galloway signing when it happened. I wasn't a huge fan of his. I didn't particularly dislike him or anything, but I wasn't a huge fan, and I thought the contract was a bit too much. And then it turned out Stan Van Gundy didn't appear to be much of a fan of it either because Langston was just in and out of the doghouse all season. And I think that really affected him. I don't think he ever got into a rhythm uh, over the course of the season. And it ended up being just this really puzzling situation. And we kicked that around on the podcast all season. You know, what did he do to get in the doghouse? Because he played fairly solid when he played, especially that three-point shooting. You can overlook a little bit of the the bad two-point shooting because such a high volume of his shots were three. Um, So to me, he actually was a little better than I thought he'd be. But I can't give him something like a full B um, or even a B plus because his role was so inconsistent. His minutes were all over the place. So I landed on a B minus. I just I felt like he didn't play enough minutes. He never solidified a role to ultimately have much of an impact. And you know maybe as much of that is on SVG as it is on him. But all that together is a B minus for Langston Galloway. I was I was very surprised that Langston couldn't find his way in the rotation, especially after uh, Avery Bradley was traded. Uh, I assumed that like Reggie Bullock would take over at at small forward. 
and that they'd run like Luke and Langston as the as the only shooting guards and just kind of uh, work the wing that way. So when he didn't break into the rotation after that and they made another trade for another wing player, I was like, oh, OK, like he's like Stan's just lost complete faith in him. And I think that that has to reflect, I think, more poorly on Stan than it does on Langston. Langston came in and did exactly what I think you expected him to do. Uh, he shot reasonably well from three shot a lot of threes and was a surprisingly effective uh, team defender. Uh, I think if you look, if you go into the numbers a little bit on that, um, I think, I think I would give him a C. He was, I thought he would be an integral part of the bench. The contract they gave him indicated that he would be an integral part of the bench and he wasn't that. And so I think he, he uh, didn't meet my expectations for the season. And so that's a C. All right. Uh, next up, we have James Ennis. What you got for James Ennis, Ben? Yeah, so I gave James a B um, because I ultimately thought he played a lot like the guy I thought he was going to be after we traded for him. He was a guy who some of the advanced stats dorks like me had kind of been uh, looking at through the box scores as someone who seemed fairly productive, but not particularly explosive or flashy um, and, and needed to find his way onto a team where he could maybe carve out a seventh man or eighth man role. And uh, I think, you know, personally, I would evaluate him as on offense, you're probably looking at the best case scenario for a Stanley Johnson. Um, So he's the kind of guy you'd want Stanley Johnson to become. He's an upgrade over Stanley uh, offensively, but then he sacrifices a little bit on defense. So his defense takes a a slight step backwards. Although I would say he's a competent team defender. I I think he's an average defender and there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately that's what I expected out of him. So I gave him a B. Uh, I'm really interested to see what we do with him. I have a hard time seeing how we would upgrade over him in free agency, given our limited resources. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what he gets offered on the market and what, if anything, the Pistons do to retain him? Because I think he can be a, a useful wing player um, on a team that has really struggled to fill the small forward. Yeah, I agree that the team has really struggled to fill the small forward. I'm just not sure if he's if he's that guy. He averaged seven and a half points, uh, two and a half rebounds, and uh, roughly an assist. And he shot uh, 45% from the floor and only 30% from three. Like that's not, that's not what his, uh, his career numbers would indicate that he would shoot in his, uh, 27 games in Detroit. But I think that quietly, like that's pretty damaging to have a guy you expected to be a part of, you brought in to be kind of your, a part of your playoff push in your wing rotation, only shoot 30% from three. Um, I don't know. He's a free agent after the season. Um, I don't, I don't know with the, with the limited amount of financial flexibility the Pistons have, I don't think re-signing James Ennis should be uh, a priority, give or take. I think there are other guys on the, uh, on the market that could do what he does uh, at like the vet minimum. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't place a high priority on re-signing James Ennis. And so with like, with that in mind, I think I would give him a C. Uh, He hit below my expectations, but um, just because he was below expectations does not mean that they still don't need someone to to fill that void of what the teams need at the at the small forward position. So that's interesting. When we get to the bargain bin free agents, I am super curious to hear who those small forwards are. Now, I'm not saying I don't mean to imply that they're not there because you're super knowledgeable. I just I, I'm going to listen closely when when we have that well, podcast because I think. Uh, 
the Pistons need to find those guys. I think they – I mean, in my mind, like they had one of those guys in the G League, right? Like I, I – I don't think KJ McDaniels like could have done like that much worse for James Ennis and he wouldn't have cost uh, a second round pick and uh, Bryce Johnson or whatever James Ennis actually cost and he won't make as much money. And so I, I think he could fill, he could fill that role reasonably effectively, you know? Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear you for sure. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, needing offense out of the wing position, though, we'll get to Stanley Johnson. Uh, we we went back and forth about Stanley a lot this season. Uh, ben, where did you uh, where did you end up on Stanley? Oh, Stanley is a guy that I want to succeed so badly. I liked him when we picked him. I loved his first preseason as a Piston. He looked like potential point forward material to me, and just about everything since then. Save for these, you know, four or five game stretches he puts together. Everything since then has been such a struggle offensively. Um, to the point where, you know, I, there's debate to be had here. But for me, his offense is such a liability if your core of guys is Reggie Jackson, uh, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond. I think you just absolutely have to have shooting out of the two and the three. And Stanley's not there. You know, his his offense has not improved very much. Um, at all since his rookie season. His shooting has not improved at all. Um, so those outcomes haven't really improved. Um, so so I just I think his offense is a real problem. Now, I'm not at the point where you sell him in a dumpster fire. I think he's certainly worth keeping around for another season uh, because his defense in and of itself, you know, justifies his position on a roster and, and in a lot of rotations. But I think he's going to be miscast if we're casting him as a starter and he's still only shooting 30% from deep uh, on a consistent basis. And, you know, we talked about that being James Ennis's percentage. The thing that Ennis did this year that was surprising was shoot a really high percentage inside. I think he was at 56 or 57% inside the line. Stanley's nowhere close to that. Um, so for me, I, I hated to do this, but Stanley's a C- minus for me. He just He was pretty significantly below expectations he's not the infamous dick minus though because his defense is legit he's a very good defender and that part of the game certainly matters he's a he's a big reason why the pistons have been so successful on defense but uh you know i think there's one more year for him to prove that he belongs in detroit um and and if if he doesn't prove it this year i think maybe they part ways but i'm going to be pulling for him because i like him uh, and I want to see him improve this summer by a lot. I think the most frustrating thing about Stanley is that he does not necessarily like fit what the Pistons are looking for in a, a small forward. And Stan has not been creative enough to utilize him in ways that might benefit him uh, offensively, especially. Uh, he has really good vision and uh, his handle has improved but he's not a good shooter. So, but we, what we never saw was like Stan use him as a screener, right? We never saw him um, given the opportunity like to play four and three heading downhill, um, attacking the rim and, and utilizing his vision and, and making passes to open guys. What we saw a lot of was him uh, m- missing spot ups in the corner um, because like, that's not a shot. Uh, we saw a lot of him trying to run the pick and roll, which wasn't, 
it can be reasonably effective, but uh, he doesn't have the handle to create space and he's not a great athlete uh, vertically. So he can't like finish through contact at the rim. But uh, and a other big chunk of his offense came in transition. He was a really uh, effective transition player where you can use his size and strength to get guys off balance and finish that way. But um, I'm starting to I'm starting to percolate like in my head, like I definitely start to think about Stan's uh, Stan Stanley's trade value because I really just think it might be time for. Uh, this marriage to to come to an end, and I think that uh, a, another more flexible offensive role could be really good for Stanley, and that he would he would play much better uh, with someone who would be willing to kind of think outside the box offensively. Does that make any sense to you, Ben? Oh, absolutely. And the, your point about transition is just one hundred percent that on because it, it's clear guys like Ish Smith, guys like Stanley Johnson, who have struggled from the field. When we see them get out and run, we see them at their very best. And particularly Stanley, you're right. He can handle, he can run the floor on the wing, and he can finish. He can do all of those things on the break. But Stan insists on playing at one of the slowest stinking paces in the NBA season after season after season. So you're, you're 100% right about that, and you're also 100% about um, his utilization in the half court. He's not a spot-up shooter. Um, no matter how much you want him to be, he just isn't. So I think you're absolutely 100% correct. And I'm, I'm cheering for him. Like, I really do want him to succeed because he plays like a piston, right? I mean, he puts defense first. He plays hard. You know, it's clear that he keeps his attitude and work ethic in check, even when things haven't gone his way. And so I applaud him for all that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we're getting close to the point where, yeah, he's still young, but he, he may just not fit regardless of the other uh, good things he brings to the table. I mean, 30, 37% from the floor is just unacceptable for, for any NBA player, you know, regardless of, of position or regardless of defensive ability. Um, that's, that's, that's like offense crippling. And there were mm-hmm. lineups in which, you know, you could get Stanley to like a positive plus minus uh, with like with a Luke Kennard or uh, with a Langston Galloway or with other guys that could shoot. But um with if the expectation is for him to operate in the starting lineup like that that's not going to work and if the expectation is for him to to come off the bench then it's it's year four and he's not uh that's not the value you expect out of the number eight pick uh in year four and so maybe you need to move on uh i don't know i might write about this later i'm just thinking about like what could be done uh with him and for him to to make uh the divorce a little bit easier on everyone um okay that's, that was a little depressing we'll we'll go even like deeper in the basement though with uh with john luer <laughs> what great does john luer get ben john luer gets the dick minus uh even though he barely played he was bad i mean he just he wasn't good and he was bad last season so i, I maybe unfairly to him i just sort of lumped it all together in my head um I don't know how much more to say about John. I mean, he was a guy I really liked. He he played really well in Phoenix. He was on my free agent list, and the Pistons signed him, and that never happens. You know, the, the Pistons just don't go out and get the guys that I want him to get. Uh, but he's been terrible. Um, his contract, too, is, is really rough. Um, you look at the dead weight of his contract, of Boban's contract, and Galloway's contract – and you just look at Stan Van Gundy and shake your head and think, what, you know, what is going on here? Um, hopefully he gets healthy. 
hopefully he can play his way into a trade because it's it's hard to see how he fits long term as as much as I might want him to. I I'm still waiting for him to be that stretch five off the bench that can shoot thirty five percent from deep and defend the interior and rebound. But uh, maybe it's a pipe dream at this point. Yeah, I think. I think he can still uh, defend the interior and rebound effectively. He was one of the like sole guys who was uh, who was an effective rebounder with with Andre off the court, if I remember correctly, last year. But uh, guess how many three? Okay, so John Lohr played eight games this year. How many threes did he make, Ben? Off the top of your head? Oh gosh, it can't be many. I mean, it, it's got to be like four. It's five, zero. It's what zero. he made zero. He was zero oh, for three from three this year. Jeez, that's and so he was brought in to be a stretch big and that the stretch no longer applies to his moniker. And so I think it's definitely say fair to say he was uh, he was ineffective. That said, I have to give him an incomplete because uh, he got injured eight games into the year and, and never returned. I think he his presence would have done things like uh, shift and Eric Moreland out of the rotation, which I think might have been um might have been valuable kind of earlier in the year. Um, his presence would have done things like enable you to play uh, a facsimile of five out with like he and Blake Griffin at uh, in the front court. And so like that would have been kind of interesting if, had, if he had been in. Um, some, some minutes with he, like he and Anthony Tolliver would have been interesting on the whole. And so I have to give him an incomplete because he only played eight games and it was, he'd sucked in those eight games. I'll grant you that, but uh, he he had opportunity to improve, and uh, and I think he he could have been important for this team. So I have to give him an incomplete. I can't give him a dick minus. I wish you had graded my grad school papers, man. I would have <laughs> I would have had an additional you know like honors rope or something to hang in my closet. I, I mean, if you had uh, if you had oh, I don't know if you had bone spurs in your ankle. <laughs> In the yeah. first two weeks of the end of the year, maybe we could have done something about that. I couldn't type up my final paper because of who knows what. Carpal tunnel. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get back to a little happier note. What uh, what grade would you give Anthony Tolliver? One of the uh, Anthony Tolliver, a fan favorite for good reason. Uh, I was nervous about him uh, this season. I was a little bit concerned that uh, age was going to catch up with him, but he was he was solid. He had a, a bit of a down down stretch in the kind of the middle second half of the middle of the season. And he kind of had the same thing as first in Detroit. Um, but overall on the, on the whole, I, I think he fits his role very well. He is Stan's go-to guy for defending some stretch bigs. And I think he does that admirably. He gets uh, outmatched a little bit because of that, but he, he does it well. Um, so I gave him a B plus. He, he exceeded my expectations. I was worried he wasn't going to be, you know, the, the guy he was a couple years ago, but he still was. And uh, I think we even saw some parts of his offensive game that we hadn't seen before, um, you know, taking to the basket and dunking on people that that famous Blake Griffin reaction that we saw on the bench. The first, It was one of Blake's very first games when Tolliver took it all the way to the, the bucket and just crushed somebody. Um, yeah, he exceeded my expectations. I, I'm a big fan of Anthony Toller. I'm a, he's a great follow on Twitter. He's a super optimistic guy. He's a great teammate and he plays the right way. So, uh, nothing but good to say about Tolliver. Uh, AT average nine points, three rebounds and an assist. He shot a 46% from the floor and, and 44% from three, if you're around. 
And so I, I have to give him an A. He just generally exceeded everything I thought um, was possible from him uh, this season. Honestly, like I thought this year uh, it would be a lot of John Luer at, at backup four and AT would be kind of like a calming influence in, in the locker room. And so I guess uh, part of the reason he gets such a high grade for me is because I had such low expectations for him uh, coming into the year. But uh, he was definitely an integral part of the Pistons uh, for the entirety of the season. He played 79 games out of, out of 82, which is amazing to think about at a um, at his age. And I think he was like, he was top 10 in the league in three point percentage, which is not something you expect of him. Like when you sign him to the BAE for a single year, um, it's, it's a heavy priority for the Pistons to bring him back in free agency. I don't know how that's going to be financially possible, but uh, excuse me, it's going to, it's going to take, uh, it's going to take a lot to, to bring Anthony Tolliver back. I think because every team is looking for a guy who can do what he does, uh, defend, uh, shoot threes and like rebound the ball a little bit and be like a consummate professional on and off the court. And so, yeah, yeah I 100% agree. A, a, a for, for Anthony Tolliver. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. I think um, I haven't studied the current CBA like I, I studied the previous one. So the thing about bird rights that get that used to get tricky was if you signed a guy to a one-year deal, you had very limited rights to retain him. And I don't know how that changed into the current CBA. So, yeah, even if we want to sign him and had the money to sign him, theoretically, we may not be able to, to get where we want to be. So, yeah, bringing him back would be fantastic, but you're right. It might be tricky. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they have his early bird rights. I can check on that later and let you guys know. Yeah, that's worth checking out for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Henry Ellenson. Henry uh, Hank. Hank Ellenson? I don't know if Hank or Henry sounds better. Neither. <laughs> what grade you give him, Ben? Oh, yuck. I mean, I really want Ellenson to be good, but he's not. He he has these brief flashes where he looks like he might be, but it's usually garbage time. And sorry, he gets he gets the old Dick Minus. He and John Lewer in the Dick Minus Club this year. If you look at his shooting numbers, they're just atrocious. And they're, they're, I mean, Stanley Johnson's numbers are bad, but Ellenson's are like in, in a class of their own. They're just terrible. Um, and on top of that, he just gets dominated by the, the bigger bodies in the NBA. He gets pushed around, uh, so he doesn't rebound. Uh, things just aren't looking good for Henry to me. Um, yeah, he's still young, but man, he is so far away from being ready to contribute. So uh, unfortunately not many good things to say for, for Henry Owens in this season. Yeah, no, he gets the dick minus. He definitely gets the dick minus. Um, he was healthy the entire year. He ended up playing in 38 games. That, that seems high. That, oof, that tells you how the Pistons season went. Right. Yeah. Like you don't even remember 20 of those games, right? Like you think, Oh yeah, he had that little stretch at the end of the season, but no, he, he played throughout the season. He played like the first like 10 games and then Tolliver took over. And then like the other, like 28 games, I have no idea how that happened. Uh, he averaged four points, two rebounds and uh, less than an assist on ugh, 36% from the floor and 33% from three. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. That's so bad. That's not good. Is a guy with uh, so his skill set is like allegedly that he can put the ball on the floor and like create and transition and pass a little bit and obviously like hit threes, but uh, his shot takes a long time to get off. He's not uh, super accurate with it yet, 
And like you said, he's a turnstile on defense. He doesn't really – his his uh, his turnstile ability on – oh, that's not a word. But on defense, he's so bad that you don't even know, like, what position he could play in the future, like, in an, in, in an idealized way. Like, is he is he a backup five? five? Is he a backup four? Like, do you need a rim – you, like, absolutely need a rim protector next to him in order to, like, make sure that you're not getting torched every time he's on the floor. Like, that's disappointing for a guy who's 6'11 and, like, allegedly, like, a good rebounder like he was in college. And so, like, yeah, I've, Dick minus, like, below expectations is definitely a good place for Henry Ellenson. Like, on the positive side, on the plus side, he's only 21. I think he definitely has room to grow, but uh, he would need to grow a lot very quickly in order for uh, the Pistons to uh, – uh, get something out of him. Yeah. And it's like, if he did one thing well, like there would be something to be hopeful about, but like the best thing I think I could say about Henry's game is that you mentioned his ability to see the floor and create for others. I've actually not seen much of that, but what I have seen is his ability to run the floor and fill lanes correctly, which sounds like a super basic thing to say, but I, I do think he does that well. And so maybe there is some, some court vision there that's that's better than average but that's a reach you know like that's a reach to say oh yeah we, we should keep this guy on the roster because of this very you know s- specific niche skill set that that may or may not be there you know yeah this is this is another case of like drafting is hard because like when henry was drafted it's like i i thought there were other guys available but like i could definitely see the potential and the promise of like a Henry Ellenson type in the NBA. And like, that just hasn't come to pass. And so like, whose fault is that? It kind of doesn't matter at this point, but uh, you hope that uh, maybe you can dangle him as trade bait or you hope that turning 22, like magically makes him like 120% of the player he was last year. And so, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know uh, what, what, what a reasonable expectation for like the development of Henry Allenson like looks like anymore. And that's kind of terrifying. Okay. Uh, last but not least, uh, Eric Moreland would Ben, what'd you think of uh, Eric Moreland this year? Yeah. So Eric Moreland is a guy who I, I kind of hated on at various times throughout the season. And I think that primarily has to do with the fact that the second unit was just so vacuous offensively at times. And, Moreland was just so bad offensively for big, big stress. It's not that if you look at his shooting numbers or something, you see really the impact. Like he, he just was a non-factor. I mean, he'd get the ball and not even pretend to look at the basket. But um, all that aside, when you take the season as the whole, like I expected third string center who would barely see the floor and when he did would be mostly a liability and that's not the case in spite of the fact that yes offensively he ne- he never really amounted to much he he just didn't hurt you that's the best you could say he became a very solid team defender and, and a, a fairly decent rebounder and, and so this grade for me is not necessarily like an objective assessment of his production um, but it's a statement about how far he exceeded expectations for me and i think this would probably be true for a lot of people it was like Eric Moreland, who? Who is this guy that we just signed? Uh, I actually gave him an A- minus because uh, he was able to be a, a productive 
backup center in spite of his limitations. And that's just way ahead of where I thought he'd be. Yeah. So his numbers are are nothing to write home about. He only averaged, what, two points, four rebounds, uh, and assist, which is like more than I thought I'd say, and like a little under a block in 12 minutes a game. Uh, he only shot twice, <laughs> only shot twice a game. He only averaged like 1.8 field goal attempts a game. But uh, look at his, his per 36 numbers. He averaged uh, 12 and a half rebounds per 36 and like uh, and two and a half blocks per 36. And so I think it's it's fair to say that like in uh, in the larger role, he wouldn't put up those exact numbers. But that kind of gives you an insight into what kind of impact he had in, in very limited minutes. And so uh, I think I have to agree with you. I think Eric Moreland was an A. He was a great great find for for the pistons this year um considering like the path he's taken from uh from sa- from being like a third guy in sacramento to um a guy who's just signed on to the summer league team just to just to fill space and uh having that guy be a a useful part of a rotation and uh, having that guy be like a legitimate backup center to the point where um i'm not sure if the team if the team needs another center, it's for it's for third string purposes and not uh, second string purposes. Um, on a on a contract that's as as cheap as his is and as as non guaranteed as his as as is his. Oof, say that three times fast. Um, I think that that was really important for the Pistons. So yeah, I have to agree with you. I have to give him an A. I'll give him a an A minus. Is I think that's more fair. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like. Is he a third center or is he a second center is a, is a live question for me. I think the only reason you might want another big guy who maybe isn't a pure center but who could play center is if you could add a guy who maybe is what John Luer, what we all wanted John Luer to be, right? That guy who's sort of an in-betweener who, depending on matchups, can play either position and can, could potentially stretch the floor a little bit. Um, like kind of throw back to Antonio McDice, right? Like he, he rebounded the ball really well. He could pick and pop. Um, adding a guy like him, a guy like that would be an interesting compliment, right? It'd be an interesting way to flesh out the four and five rotation. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, a lot and on a lot of the matchups, he can be a competent backup defender. And I mean, that, that's just an incredible achievement for a guy like Eric Mullen, who is literally a, a nobody coming into the season. He, he deserves a lot of credit for uh, for working his way into a role and then ex- exceeding all the expectations that we had. Yeah, for I think in in a similar vein, like if you can uh, like with another training camp, convincing him to like play finish to to dunk off pick and rolls and and or to to look for a shot within like three to four feet. Like I think that could be really beneficial for him because, like you said, like there were times he'd get the ball near the rim and like not even like look to shoot. And I think like understanding that like he has uh, the security of like a full time NBA job that like if anything goes wrong, he's not going to get cut immediately. I think that could be that could be like good for his uh, morale and for his mentality offensively. Um, you definitely like saw some of that. I think like way late in the year. Where it's like, okay, we're playing at the string, but like I'm gonna get eighteen and eighteen against Chicago for no reason. Like there you can see like there are there's a there's a burgeoning like play finishing skill set guy in there. And like a guy like that is very valuable and a guy like that on a cheap contract, uh, doubly so. And so like yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment of Eric Moreland. Yeah, and I wanna piggyback on that last thing you said. Two good things to say about Eric Moreland. 
last one is he did show signs like over the last 20, maybe would be fair to say of um, I wouldn't call it a post move, but he kind of had the, the ability to catch the ball um, six feet from the basket and take one dribble and sort of have, I wouldn't call it a sweeping hook, but some it's like a flip shot. Yeah. Like it was, it's, it's his own thing, but it was relatively successful. So even if he did that one or two times a game, you can't just totally ignore him, right? So I think you're talking about that as play finishing. I think he showed us that there's a little bit of that there. And the second thing I would say to his credit is there's something to be said for a guy who understands his limitations. Um, it, it's easy to get in the game and shoot your way out of a, a role because you don't understand that your role isn't to go in there and shoot, right? So to see to see him in today's NBA understand his limitations, I think, uh, is to his credit because I think he focuses on the things that he knows he can do and he knows he can do well, uh, and that has been rewarded with with a consistent role and a, and a consistent NBA job, as you described it. Yeah. So I think the the next obvious question is like, where's Luke Kennard? Like you guys did all the guards and like, where's Luke Kennard? And where's Reggie Bullock? You guys did all the wings. Where's Reggie Bullock? Those guys were so integral and so important to what the team is going to do in the future that I wanted to lump them with the starters. So we will talk about them next week or the week after or whenever we do the next podcast. You guys will, you guys will figure it out. Um, ben, is there, is there anything else you'd like to say before, uh, before we take off? You know, the only thing I would say is um, if you love basketball, watch the playoffs. Um, It is the best basketball in the world. April, May, and June are, I mean, March Madness is awesome, but April, May, and June is even better. It's the best basketball on the planet in spite of the fact that the Pistons aren't there. If you love basketball, there's some, some great basketball being played, and it's worth your time if you have it to check it out. Yeah, those, uh, those 10 o'clock you know, Eastern start times for the West Coast games are real difficult. But if you can stay up for them, they're definitely worth it. I definitely want to want to say that again. It's definitely worth it. All right, guys, you can find uh, Ben Gulker at on Twitter at BR Gulker. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at last chance MSU. No, just last chance. MSU is my email. Uh, L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Um, we will be talking about the starters next week. And then, you know, if anything happens with Stan Van Gundy, uh, if there's any white smoke coming out of the church, the roof of the Vatican, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, (laughs) thanks guys. And, uh, we will talk to you next week or the week after. 